Hello and welcome to the Ozol Show. Today I am here with Adam Kumoji. I hope I mentioned that right. It's a pleasure to meet you yeah. and you're welcome. I usually don't yeah. introduce my guests because I feel like I won't do justice. So I, I honestly do not attempt to do it. <laughs> so I, Adam, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be yeah. here. I mean, for a lot of people, you need no introduction. You've contributed a lot, a lot to the tech ecosystem in Ghana, Africa, and out, outside as well. So can you just tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, my name is Adam uh, Kumuji. I, I work at Microsoft, um, you know, out of the headquarters in Redmond. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else. I don't know what... <laughs> I'm supposed to say that, uh, yeah, I'm a software engineer by training and, uh, you know, up until recently transition to program management. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so can you tell us a bit about Dev Congress? Dev Congress, okay. Um, so Dev Congress, I think many people think that I founded it, which is not true. We are, I actually didn't found Dev Congress. Dev Congress was an initiative from a couple of students, well, former students at Millswater. Um, so there's Claude, there's Yao. Um, a couple of other people I don't remember right now. Um, it's Elam, yeah. So and so the idea has always been the same. You know, it's always been you know let's create a community of developers, right, where we can you know encourage learning, networking, community, sharing knowledge and opportunities, those kind of things. Um, things didn't pick up. Um, with Dev Congress up until I returned from South America. So I used to be based in South America where I worked as a consultant at ThoughtWorks. Um, and so while I was there, I, I clearly saw the benefits that, um, you know, like a strong um, community has when it comes to like, you know, finding new people to hire, discovering talent, sharing knowledge, you know, learning best practices among companies. There's all these things that I got to see directly because ThoughtWorks was very community oriented. And that's something that I thought was lacking, right? Um, so around that time, I started reconnecting with a couple of people back home, um, you know, came back with, the, you know, we had like a bunch of other guys who also had like similar ideas and shared the same concerns that I did. So then when we came back, we sort of like revived the community, right? Um, so it was like, there was Andrew, Scroll Timers worked on Twitter, um, Yao, Claude, you know, we just said, hey, like, what can we do to actually, like, make this thing really vibrant? Um, so it started really small, you know, we would just basically invite speakers to come and talk about different topics in computer science okay. or software engineering, and then, you know, just get a couple of people to just come in and listen, right? It was, it would, it would be like meetups we would do once a month, people would just gather around and then hear somebody talk about some topic. And over time, as we did more and more meetups, then the numbers just grew. Um, and so currently we have over 1,500 developers in the community. We haven't done we haven't done community events on a monthly basis. Obviously, COVID hit, and then 
a lot of these events are done are sponsored out of pocket because you don't have like corporate sponsorship. So it's, you know, we just basically try to do them as and when we were for them because as the community grows larger, it also meant that the kind of space we were using in the beginning were not sufficient anymore, right? Uh, we went from using like classrooms in Meltwater's building in East Ligon to at some point having to rent out um, Marriott Hotel's conference room, right? Which was like, if we didn't have corporate sponsorship for that particular event, I don't think we would have been able to do that. So it became a case of, okay, like as and when we can afford to you know do these events then we'll get them done but then we are more active on the slack um, community channel where you know there are different groups for different people who want to talk about different things um, so a lot of like job opportunities get shared there a lot of like um, people who need help with specific languages technologies they're using they can help there you can just interact network you can pretty much do everything that you want to do on slack so that's that's where we've, we've had pretty much most of our activities um and so, yeah, so Deaf Congress is probably like one of the things that I'm the proudest of because it felt like for once, you know, in Ghana in particular, we built this one community where, you know, if you were a developer, you can say that you can, you can be a part of that group and feel like you are not alone, right? Many people, regardless of what stage you're in your career, you find like-minded people that you can connect with and go together. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting and it's good that you mentioned that you are not the founder because I was actually thought you were the founder. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's a misconception. Um, yeah. The founders themselves don't really talk much. They are very quiet and very, you know, and I guess like maybe because of my following, people just assume that, you know, I'm just a community admin and there are many other community admins as well. It's like eight of us. Yeah. Uh, maybe because I'm the one with the most visibility, that's why you don't know about all the other people. But yeah, so it's a, it's a it's a volunteering thing across many people. And then out of Deaf Congress, like a bunch of other uh, communities also got started, right? So you know the Facebook Developers Circle community. We have the um, what's it called? Um, uh, the Flutter Ghana community. There's a bunch of them who are essentially like members of Dev Congress who then sort of like branched out to build up their own more focused community on some technology or some, um, you know, smaller ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, but I would say that, you know, by, by just um, numbers, we probably, Dev Congress has kind of like encapsulates everybody who is a developer in Ghana. Um, so that's where you find pretty much Anybody who anybody who is a dev in Ghana, there is maybe a seventy percent chance that they're a member of the Congress. I think that's great. Um, different kinds of questions have uh, organizations and associations which govern and kind of help to regulate them, and and that gives them a lot of opportunities. That gives them a lot of negotiating yeah. power. They're able to set certain things. For example, in law there's a there's an, a minimum amount that you can collect for a particular thing that you need to do um, and for certain right. the prices are set um, on a, another level someone would argue that it kind of limits your potential based on certain things but I mean all in all sometimes it just helps to regulate things and drive things forward and I watch from afar yeah. I mean I used to watch like from years ago I used to see um, events Dev Congress and all that and I just joined this year when I spoke with you and you told me more about it. And from yeah. what I saw the conversations, the people who are there, I feel like it's really something great that's going on. The base has been built 
for something massive. And it sounds more like a movement than actually a group because there are, there are uh, many people there who are thinking in a like-minded way and are ready to do certain things to help to change. And maybe when the right yeah. opportunities present themselves one day, there could be a, let me say, revolution in the, in, in the industry. Uh, it's good to be in Ghana because you can see such words in some certain countries. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's going to be a revolution. Yeah, nah. boom, 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 boom. That's, that's true. Hey. You can't can see these things anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. Ghana is a good country. So uh, it's, it's really great to connect here. We are just going to be talking about uh, opportunities for software developers and expanding those opportunities. Um, you shared with me some of your experiences at, micro, at Microsoft and um, how it has been different from what happened, what you've been experiencing in Ghana for so many years, for about 13 years. And that's, 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 um, it's encouraging to, to know that there are such opportunities out there, but it also raises the question of when is Ghana going to get here? Do I need to get out of here to experience something like that? Is it possible? to do something that change that helps to um, bring us here. And that's what we are going to, to discuss. Uh, in the meantime, um, I mean, before we, we talk about that, can you talk about how your journey in tech has been? I mean, you, you started very early, many years ago, and uh, maybe the tools that you're even using, uh, we've probably not heard about some of them from since then, or we've not used them, or yeah. I mean, I think I mean, that was yeah. actually at the time that computers were not very common. As they um as they are even like even ten years ago probably so can you tell us about how that journey has been how you have grown and how um you grew together with the technology and how it changed can you tell us a bit about that yeah sure um so my journey has been interesting um I got into this this I didn't I never actually set out to necessarily be a software engineer right I was just you know, some kids who like to play with computers and do video games and all those kind of things. Um, and, and I've written, you know, I've written a blog post about, you know, why I became a, or how I became a software engineer. It was essentially out of trying to solve a problem from, you know, my university days. And then that led to me getting my first job. And then essentially from there, like, I just continued, right? Um, so I worked primarily in consulting for pretty much most of my career up until now. Um, and so the technology space has been interesting. So when I started, obviously web applications are not a thing. It was mainly desktop applications. Um, nobody, I mean, like people were building websites, um, but for like as a con as a consulting company, like you would usually get people saying, "I'm trying to build this, this application for my business." You know, it was all like desktop days. Um, so that's how I started with .NET. Um, I learned Visual Basic on my own, but then, um, you know, for my first job, they didn't use Visual Basic, so I had to transition to C Sharp, which is what I've used professionally for, you know, since that time. Um, and so, I mean, C Sharp, you know, that itself has changed a lot since, you know, the early days. Um, I love C Sharp. I mean, it's, 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 I don't think yeah, it's, it's enough rep, 
like it's a really solid language i mean the thing is you have to think about the fact that like it's microsoft right yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which will come back to in a bit but then microsoft didn't always have um, a, a very positive image among developers and up until recently dotnet wasn't an open source thing it was still closed source uh, which meant that if you know if you were not doing software development for a big company that would buy for licenses and stuff like that, there was there was like your chances of knowing a language that was you know by Microsoft was very limited, right? So that's why I feel that you know Java became a lot more popular than C sharp. It's simply because the Microsoft thing it was closed source. You need to get Visual Studio to be able to use it, and the licenses were very expensive, so. You know, people just stayed away from it. But yeah, I think we it's a great language. It. Uh, we had to steal it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, we had to. Yeah. I mean, we had to steal licenses and cracks and all that back in those yeah. days just to be able to. I don't think there's anybody who did .NET 10 years ago who can say that they actually bought a license no, in Africa. No, before. no. Everybody was stealing, right? No, no. <laughs> My first um, official studio to 2010, and yeah. it, was, it was a pirated copy. To be honest, that's, that was my yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what I did, um, and then at some point, then we transitioned to doing web applications um, because people were essentially moving away from the idea of like I have to download something to be able to actually use it on my laptop, just use it on the web, right? Um, so that shift was quite interesting to me, um, seeing people just, you know stop requesting for desktop applications and saying now they just want a web application. And what that also meant was uh, we then got into this phase where uh, people wanted web applications to essentially be as interactive as desktop applications, right? Why should I reload the whole page before I get to see new content? Why should I? Why can you not do this? Why can you not do that? Um, and so somewhere along the line, just to be able to like make applications more interactive, I had to learn JavaScript. Okay. Um, in the beginning, it was very, you know, um, you know, add banners here and there, slideshows, you know, make the site nice, click on a button and then send, you know, like it was just like very busy using plugins and stuff. Uh, and then when I joined um, um, Ringye, which was the second company I worked for, um, I got into e-commerce as well. So, um, you know, we had a bunch of products that we were trying to build and test what is in Ghana to see. Um, there was classifieds, there was job portal, there was e-commerce, and then there was a sports website. Um, so those days were also very interesting because we got, a, we got a lot of, like, liberty to play with tools and try different technologies and stuff like that. So I actually really enjoyed my time there. What year was um, And I probably, this was 2011, I believe. Okay. Yeah, 2011. Yeah. Um, so I stayed there for about two years. Um, and it was funny because like within, within two years, I was 2011, I was 20, uh, 23. I was 23, yeah. I was 23 then. And then by 2013 when i was 25 i became the head of the whole team right uh, which was a very funny title because i felt like i was too young to hold such a title and there was so much more that i should learn and know right um so it always puts me in this really weird space where i mean at one point the team was as big as i think nine people Oh. And that was the first one I got to actually lead a team of engineers. I had no idea what I was doing, but 
It's like, okay, you've been given the title, so figure it out. Um, but I mean, the, the thing that really was a defining moment for me during those days was, um, so during that time, I, I interviewed Google the first time. Mm -hmm. I failed that interview like really badly. It was terrible. I couldn't answer the first. It was a, it was a phone interview. Um, the guy asked me this question. I think it was like a sorting question and I had to write the code on a Google Docs file. I, I, I was not prepared for it. I, I just failed. Um, but, and then at work, we started seeing a couple of things where like, you know, I, I mean, even though, um, you know, like we, we understood and learned the, you know, computer science concepts and everything. Um, a lot of people would say back then that they essentially were learning on their, like from by themselves, right? It was pretty much self-taught. And so we're building software the way we knew how to build it. But then, you know, like, you, you build this application and then like there are always bugs in them it's always there's always something wrong with the application and everything so i used to wonder like what like what is it that we are doing wrong that you know um other companies outside get right you know like why is it that you never hear of you know these applications ever crashing or these websites ever crashing it, it like, didn't make sense to me i felt like i felt like there was some missing gap in my knowledge that i didn't have that you know, other I'm like, ah, is it not the same C sharp we are all using? Is it not the same Python and JavaScript we are all using? So why are these people doing it this way? And we are not able to even keep a site up without, you know, bugs and all sorts of things. And it's, it's not just like you look at the code. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so it made me realize, and then and then filling the Google interview also made me realize, like, bro, there's actually some some knowledge you don't have that you have to go and seek for. And you have to think, again, this was 2013. This is not 2020. 2013, there was no community. There was no... Twitter wasn't as big as it is now. I joined Twitter in 2010, I think, or 2009. But there was barely anybody there. You know, like, nobody... Everybody was on Facebook, I think, most of the time. So Twitter was the thing that nobody really understood. And, you know, so there was no community, there was no network, there was nobody to look up to, there was nobody to be able to reach out and say, hey, like, you know, like you wouldn't know where to get that knowledge from. Because it's one thing when you know what you want to study, right? It's another thing when you have no idea. If you don't have a guide, like, what do you learn next, right? Yeah. And that was the position in which I was. So I was like, okay, I need to find another job where I can learn the things that I'm missing right now. Yeah. Um, so that's how ThoughtWorks came along the way. During that same time, I interviewed with Twitter. I also feel that interview, um, you know, Facebook never got back to me. I was like, okay, clearly I'm doing something wrong. Um, and someone introduced me to someone who worked at ThoughtWorks and I heard about the company. I checked them out and I'm like, oh, wow, like this would be a great company to go work at. Um, so thankfully I passed that interview after trying twice. Um, and then they hired me with the idea that they were going to set up an office in Ghana initially, and then that didn't work out, and I got sent to South America. And so when I joined ThoughtWorks, essentially, I was already, what, five years into my career at the time, but it was kind of like starting from scratch, right? Okay. I got to see how big companies build software, and I was like, we are actually playing in Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking that very clearly and I would have this conversation with my friends who were sitting in Ghana and I'm like, yo, we are actually playing. Um, at the time I joined ThoughtWorks, um, you know, like test-driven development became the de facto best practice that almost every company was using. 
you know, microservices architecture was becoming a little popular because Netflix and Amazon kind of like pioneered it. Uh, continuous integration and continuous delivery was becoming a thing. Evolutionary architecture was becoming a thing. There was just like all these architectural patterns and best practices. It was like a melting pot where, and then we'll go to all these conferences where people from these big companies will come and talk about the way they do architecture and everything. And I was just amazed at number one, the fact that there were people who would share this knowledge openly. You know, it's like, it's like you see engineers from two companies that are actually in competition, but they would both come to a conference and they would openly share their best practices. You know what I mean? It's like, imagine going to a conference where Uber is talking about their engineering practices and Lyft or Taxify is also talking about theirs. They are competing companies, but at the engineering level, there is that respect for the knowledge and that needs to be passed down so everybody can learn and benefit from it, right? That was amazing to me. So I got to learn so much from attending all these conferences and, you know, like thankfully, ThoughtWorks was so big on continuous learning. They would they expect everybody to keep learning new things and keep playing with technologies and, you know, doing all sorts of things. So, you know, the first company that really molded me into becoming who I am today is ThoughtWorks, right? Um, they essentially took someone who maybe like knew a bunch of things, but completely disconnected and separated, and then gave me a way to map all that out in a structured way, right? And then the second thing they did was they taught me processes that had nothing to do with the actual code okay. that were also important, right? Yeah. And what was interesting in my ThoughtWorks days was I didn't understand why some things were done. I just knew this is what we do when we are getting it done. So it's kind of like, think about how you drive and you may not necessarily understand the moving parts in an engine, but you know that when you press your accelerator, then the car moves, right? Same, same kind of thing. So I didn't really know, know the why some things were done, but I knew how. Like you start a project, this is XYZ you have to do, you have, you know, and it just worked in my head, like it's great, you know. So I've been doing that for three years, you know. Anytime I'll, I'll come back to Ghana once a year for vacation. Uh, and anytime I come back to Ghana, I would speak to my friends and, you know, like what they are doing, what they are up to, and realize that, like, you know, in the three years that I was away, things haven't really changed. Like oh, yeah. people are still building software the old way. And anytime you speak to someone and they are telling you about some of the things that they're struggling with, now that I saw how it was done somewhere else, and I, I, I was like, oh, I've been through this before. This is how you, you fix it. But it became tiring having to see the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, no, we need a community. We need to have yeah. some sort of you know, place where all this knowledge can be shared. Um, and so anytime like, I was like, maybe I should just come back and then start something. It was something that was always on the back of my mind. Yeah. And my mentor um, at ThoughtWorks, you know, had a conversation one time and I was asking him like, you know, like how do you even get people to adopt best practices? And he made this statement that I will never forget. He's like, um, you don't adopt best practices by just like throwing it at people. You you nurture a new generation of people to know these things and then they take it wherever they go. Okay. And he was giving the example of like, let's say you wanted to teach, let's say you have a country, right? And everybody is driving their cars and all the cars are manual. You want to get people to switch to driving automatic cars, right? But automatic cars are more expensive. So obviously, because people already know how to drive manual, you can't simply tell them switch to automatic and then they will just switch, right? 
Um, if you try to do that by just like forcing it down on people, it won't work. But then imagine that you went to the driving schools and said, you are not allowed to teach people how to drive manual anymore. Yes. Right. You can only teach people how to drive automatic and you make them change all their cars to automatic cars. What would then happen is you are going to raise an entirely new generation of drivers after maybe like five to ten years who not even know what a manual car looks like. Right. So whether they like it or not, the only car they know how to drive is automatic. So they would not never go and buy a manual car, yeah, even if it's cheaper, because they're like, I didn't learn how to drive this manual thing. I want an automatic car, right? And that was such a revealing moment to me because it made me realize like the way we have to go about this thing is not to try to, you know, teach best practices and the right way of building software to people who are already professionally there. We need to take the students, the ones who are now starting their career and then equip them with these things so that wherever they go, they can, you know, that's just how they do it. And so that's what really made me feel like, yeah, you know, I need to come back I need to do this it's not something that you do from a distance it's not something that um, you know you you can effectively do while you are far 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 away right um, so that motivated me to come back and then at that point too it's like once I, I got used to this concept of continuous learning and continuous improvement you know learning how to learn I, I then stopped getting scared of being able to pick up any new technology as when it came up um, so ThoughtWorks also helped me understand how, you know, as a consultant, you can become pragmatic about what you use, you choose to learn and then how to, you know, basically focus on the tools you need to go to get a job done. Yeah. So I'm, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, so at this point, I can pretty much go anywhere and I think I'll be fine when it comes to, you know, looking for a job or whatever. So I left ThoughtWorks, came back to Ghana, um, free, you know, I was freelancing for a bit on Geekstar and that's when Dev Congress kind of like revived, um, you know, um, and we did exactly what I was saying, you know, we do um, meetups, um, conferences, passing on this knowledge. And the thing that was interesting was I would then run off running to people who would say, oh, one of my developers came to introduce, you know, this thing in our company because they came to one of our meetups, they saw it there. And then, you know, so it's like, okay, so I can see the value in doing this because I don't have to go to all these companies one by one and then consult them and teach them how to do this thing. But if I can gather developers and we can impact them with that knowledge, they'll take it back wherever they are and then, you know, just pass it down. Um, and so that's how essentially we got to this point where, um, you know, I would say at least some subsets of developers are much better prepared compared to my generation, right? Um, so that's what I was doing. And then, you know, Andela came along the way. Um, they were looking to hire people in Ghana for, you know, being their senior consultants. And so I stayed at Andela for a couple of, well, for about three years as well. And so the, 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 the thing that was really interesting to me at Andela was that, like, it allowed me to do exactly what I was doing at, at Dev Congress, but with a larger platform, because now we actually had, you know, people that were trained to become software engineers within Andela. And on the other side, we had clients who were skeptical about whether, you know, these African engineers can actually do the job. Actually, and we had to basically yeah. prove to them that we can, so they can sort of like change their mindset when it comes to the quality of African engineering talent. Um, so I really like that, right? And the other thing that, that Andela also gave me was, so ThoughtWorks taught me, you know, or gave me the how behind all these best practices. Andela came to show me why, right? Because at Andela, you have to remember, it, it was a startup 
you know, that was growing really, really fast. And then, so when we came in as senior consultants and we would jump onto projects, you know, for these clients that we're, we're working for, then you see how they do some things and some of the issues they were having. And then it automatically shows you, oh, so this is why we did it this way at ThoughtWorks, you know? So I started understanding, you know, like why some things are done a certain way because you literally saw the issues that happen when you don't do them right so it's kind of like it's kind of like if i use the car example again it's kind of like at thoughtworks i learn how to drive right and they'll tell you oh you know never press um your what's it called your accelerator and then put your car that automatically in reverse and so you will never do it because that's what you are taught right and then at Andela, I saw how the car breaks down when you actually do that. And they're like, oh, so this is why you don't do this. Okay, let's fix it now, right? So it was very interesting to me because I essentially was able to use all the experience that I had from ThoughtWorks and my freelancing days and consulting and then kind of like apply it to the projects I worked on at Andela. So that was really great. And so I did that for about three years. And while I was at Candela, I just knew that my next opportunity was going to be outside. Okay. Because the thing is like, you have to keep in mind that from Candela, like I got to actually consult for some really big startups, right? There was, op- there was Open Door, leader in real estate in the States. There was Code Climate, the build developer productivity tools. And there was the public library of science. There was, there was a bunch of them. And so, and then having seen engineering at that level, it's like, okay, these guys are dealing with, I don't know, like Open Door was buying maybe like a hundred houses every month and, you know, spending billions on, on that, right? Um, code Climate had, what, 2.5 billion lines of codes that they had to process every day from a bunch of organizations. So this, the sheer scale of the projects I was working on you know, and seeing how the engineering is done at that level just made me realize, like, I cannot leave this and then the next thing is going to be lower than what I'm doing here, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no way the next opportunity is coming in Africa. Like, we don't have that skill yet. Yeah. Um, and so even then, like, you know, when I, when I started looking for jobs and everything, um, it was never like, okay, I'm going to... I, I, it was for me, it's like, in my mind, it was very clear it was going to be like a Facebook or a Google or a Netflix or, mm-hmm. you know, Microsoft or Apple or whatever. That, those were the companies I was focusing on. Um, so I ended up interviewing for both Microsoft and Facebook. And, you know, Microsoft made a good offer and I joined Microsoft. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's what a journey has been. And in terms of roles, I've, I've gone from building desktop applications, web applications, um, really a bit of mobile at some point, um, and then exclusively backend stuff, then leading a team, um, freelancing again, leading another team, and yeah. then now I, I work as a program manager. Yeah. So it's been a very interesting wow. journey of uh, different roles. Yeah, I, I think you've, you've been through it. Um, it's very inspiring to see and hear all of this. And when you spoke about knowledge sharing, you realized that um, outside the country, people actually share knowledge. And so they compete at a certain level, but they don't compete at the engineering level. And I, I noticed that that's probably what we are doing here. We are so obsessed with the tools and things that we are competing um, at the engineering level. 
and not sharing enough knowledge, not sharing enough uh, information to people, other people in the ecosystem. And that's probably stifling our growth to a certain level. Like it's, it's probably hindering how fast we are able to progress in this space. And beginning to share, when we notice people begin to share like Dev, from Dev Congress and other people, uh, you realize that when the knowledge starts going out, people start thinking bigger. People start thinking bigger. Okay, so we can mm -hmm. do this like this. We can, we can, the competition is no longer at the engineering stage. I mean, if the fact that programming languages are not something to compete with, but people actually compete with programming languages here in, in, in the country, like, okay, is this about this language? And these things are just tools. I mean, someone said software developers are going to be extinct or so. I feel like software developers could be extinct, but people who de design and develop solutions with technology will never go out of style because um, there, there will be new tools and we will simply use those new tools to, uh, to develop new solutions. And so that's yeah. probably not going to end. Um, I noticed that, for example, my, from my personal experience, that I didn't know a lot of things, especially when I started um, watching videos on YouTube, watching engineers and watching conferences and stuff. I realized that, wow, like there's a lot that we don't know. And this is me working in one of the biggest corporations uh, in the country, um, looking at the way things are done, probably receiving probably a very good salary, which other people would envy, and then realizing that I'm playing at the bottom of the at the bottom of the lake, or what should I even call it? I'm I'm not even in the game. Like you're not even in the game. You're not even playing in the game. Right. There's really something big going on that you are not participating in. And so I I I kind of appreciate all the things that you have done, especially in the ecosystem. I'm sure a lot of people have thanked you, but maybe I also have to also put that out there. You have laid a certain kind of foundation for us. And now I believe that we can actually take it further to teach people these things. And I did think about getting the various organizations uh, in the country to come together and then teaching them about system architecture and other things. Then I realized that, like you said, it's better to teach um, the, the new generation that is coming how to do these things than to go for the older generation. I mean, Jesus said you can't put new wine in old wineskins. Else, you actually destroy it. And I think that from an older, from a certain level of um, people, being a developer comes with some kind of pride that actually limits when you get at a, at a certain level. One thing I've observed, it limits what they are able to learn. And so, for a certain lack of exposure, people are very. Um, People do not, Charlie, the English loss. Maybe I have to say it in a different language. I mean, people do not want to um, learn new things and people feel like they already know or they shouldn't be learning something else or because of the role they are given and the salary they are being paid, they can't afford to let people know that they do not know these things by trying to learn them. And so it hinders it a lot. So going for the younger generation is actually good. And I see the responses that come, especially on social media. A lot of people are reaching out and crying out. I mean, I started 
learning C++ and developing before I went to uni. I just got a book online and downloaded it and started learning and practicing. So, but when I went to school, by the time I, I, I had finished four years of a computer science degree, there were just about um, two or three students in my class who were able to say, oh, okay, I want to build an application and actually build it. Like, can you have a class of about 50 something people? These are just only about two or three are able to do that. And I, I got to a point yeah. where I had a lot of job offers and they asked me if I could refer other people. And I couldn't actually find anyone to refer because of the requirements that they wanted. Like it was really difficult to get that. So I feel that the educational system is a bit inadequate in that area and then needs to be augmented by um, training and mentorship, especially a lot of mentorship, which is how people like you pass down information, sorry, <clears throat> people like you pass down information to the younger generation to be able to pick up. And so your story is worth telling. And since you've been through everything, we should uh, probably find a framework to also contribute. But I know you're already doing that anyway. So let's talk about the next thing. Ex uh, what is what do you think is scarce opportunities or ambition in the in the environment in the tech ecosystem mm. is it that there are not enough opportunities for people there are people who are really good and there are not enough opportunities or there are a lot of opportunities for people to do stuff but people are not ambitious enough maybe because they're not aware of what they do. i think i think I mean, so when we talk about opportunities, there's two ways to look at it, right? Um, we need to we need to define people think opportunity, and they are essentially looking at companies in Ghana, right? But this is what I always say: um, we actually don't have that many tech companies in Ghana. Like, how many tech companies in Ghana can hire a hundred people a year? There isn't. I don't think even one of them can actually say they can hire one hundred people a year, right? So that tells you how little or how small the country is and how small the market is, right? So that's one. And then when you look at even the tech companies in Ghana that are actually, you know, making a decent, uh, I don't know, decent revenues or are able to survive and, you know, like just like will be classified to be bigger than a small business, you realize that it is always the companies that have built products where their client base extends out of the country, right? Um, and so that should tell you like, yeah, so that's because the market really is small, right? So if the market is small for the tech companies themselves, why do you think that it should be big enough to accommodate for a thousand developers coming in every year, right? So that's, that's the problem, right? So that's where, um, you know, we, we need to be very careful when we think about the way we define um, you know opportunities right um, and you, you have to just basically you know think about opportunity and think beyond Ghana right if you think about opportunity and say okay I'm not limiting myself to Ghana I'm looking at you know wherever the job can come from then yes I would say there's a lot of opportunities out there there is there is there is such a big demand for like um, tech talents you know really good tech talent globally that if you can pull your weights in terms of like you know knowing how to code and do all these things you would never complain about you know not being able to find a job like in my in my group of peers and friends 
it's it's actually a struggle to find anybody who is available to get work done because they are all busy they are all doing something and once they have done what they are doing there's something else that's lined up right so the opportunities are there um ambition i think it is also two-sided i don't want to say that people are not ambitious enough because you know life can throw things at you and then you no matter how hard you try you just can't make as much time as you want because we all have 24 hours in a day um, I think that um, you know, you know, Ghanaians or you know our devs are generally like motivated to want to do this. Um, I think what's missing, however, is more of the guidance to kind of like you know get yourself to the point where you can attract opportunities to yourselves, right? Um, I speak to a lot of people and. You know what I then realized is like these guys are just learning a bunch of things in a non-concise way, and they end up not mastering the few things that they should know really well to be able to excel, right? So that's where that's where there is actually a problem. Um, you can find people who are really ambitious, who are very motivated to work on their on on whatever they want to do, but if they are learning things that have no clear coherence or it doesn't lead to them having like some kind of goal um, then they will never be able to position themselves in a place where they can say exactly what they do and then attract different opportunities to them right um, so that's what that's what i think is missing and that's what i'm personally sort of like focusing on trying to fix now um, the people that are mentoring right now it is really what's your goal what are you trying to become where are you trying to get to and then using that to guide them towards the things that they should learn so that in you know uh, a year from now two years from now whatever the target is they can say okay this is where i am now so i'm ready to start xyz right so i met someone who wants to take an interview with google in the next year or two so the kind of mentorship I'm giving him is very different from the mentorship I'm giving someone who is trying to become a mobile app developer, right? So everybody has specific goals. And this guy who wanted, who wants to interview with Google, he's like, yeah, so I'm learning DevOps and then I'm building apps and everything. And I'm like, my guy, if you're trying to apply for Google, you need to actually forget about all these things and focus primarily on just doing data structures and algorithms and, you know, system design, because that's where you will be tested. Nobody is going to look at your fancy little app at Google and say, oh, that's a cute app, let me hire you. No, they're going to test you based on things that you're not learning. So focus on those things instead, right? And that'll be very different from somebody who wants to build a mobile app or something, right? Um, and the other thing too is like, people also don't study trends, you know? When we talk about opportunities, the, the time I, I actually started learning how to build applications in React, it was simply because there's a lot of demand for React devs. It wasn't, I didn't just jump on React because I thought it was, you know, very cool and Facebook. I mean, I, I knew about React when it came out. Um, I think I was at Fortworks when they released the first um, white paper. I was like, okay, this is fancy. But at the time we had already done some work in AngularJS. And that also was because a client specifically wanted that, right? Um, so when I got into freelancing, I was just basically looking at the board and I'm like, ah, they are paying Ruby on real engineers, I don't know, like $5,000 for a project that would take like a month. And then these React devs are getting paid like 5,000 for the same kind of project, but it takes them two weeks. Okay, let me go and learn React then, right? So it was out of basically like looking at the trends and then saying, okay, um, with the knowledge that I have that is in high demand, um, that you know, I, can, I can make money from, right? 
Um, so opportunities, you know, based on the trends and then kind of like positioning yourself or learning the right things um, is, is what, you know, gets you there. I don't think it's a lack of ambition per se, although that's also arguable, but I would, I would say generally that like, yeah, I don't think we have a problem when it comes to like people being ambitious enough to actually, um, you know, um, want to want to find these opportunities. Maybe the lack of ambition we, we can mention would be from people not knowing what their value is yeah. and being able to manage what they are worth, right? Because they, they just don't know. But, but even then, I wouldn't really call it lack of ambition. I think it's just lack of guidance and exposure, right? It's not really ambition per se. Okay, uh, you mentioned a, a few really interesting things. Uh, I think the lack of exposure is a really uh, big is a really big problem here, and people didn't know certain things. When I talked about my salary inter interview salary thing on Twitter, people were like, yeah. "Wow, you are lying! How can you earn seven thousand? Are you saying that five years ago or three years ago you were earning seven thousand and all that?" and it was really it was really hilarious for me because like this is the problem because people don't know yeah. and this is why we need to speak out so that when you go somewhere um you can just uh and that was not the first time i mentioned it i I've, i think i hinted at it before i didn't give make, say that in a, such a detailed way but somebody mm -hmm. replied saying um when you talked about this the last time i tried it and it has been working really well for me and i was like you know this is why we should do it because yeah. I, I have found that ever since that experience of asking for, I mean, I felt like I was wet that I just felt that I couldn't ask for it. So I just decided to just try and just ask like as a joke. I think that's why, I think that's why it's important that we, we, yeah. we have conversations around compensation, right? Um, just yesterday, I shared my compensation at Microsoft and some people were surprised. Some people were shocked, like, ah, like, why do you share that? Like, what's the big deal? And I'm like, first of all, the information is available online. You can literally, if you know my level at Microsoft, you can go online and find out exactly how much Microsoft pays for that level. It's pretty standard. And secondly, I really need people to like, you know, um, know, realize that, okay, if somebody like Adam can get to this level and can earn this, then I think I should be able to do it myself as well. Because in, in my generation, when I started, there wasn't really anybody to look up to. You know what I mean? It's like we, we just picked ourselves on our own and tried to get there. But that shouldn't be a reason why you can't, you know, like have other people who are, I mean, like right now I have, I have kids who are like 21, 20, 19, and they're like, I want to go work at Google. I wish I could say that when I was 19, because at 19, I was thinking I wasn't born on the right continent to be able to ever think about working in a big company like this, right? Um, so it's very important that we, we have these conversations and, and show people, right, that yeah. um, actually, you know, you are selling yourself short and you just don't know. Yeah. You know? And in my case too, I, you know, which I shared yesterday, even the offer that I got from Microsoft wasn't the first offer that I got. It was a counter offer that they made after yeah. my friends who were based here were telling me, no, you can get way more than that, right? Um, so it's like, if you don't openly discuss these things, and you're not open to like letting people know these things so they can advise you or they can tell you what you're worth and all that, then how do you really, you know, like actually get what you're worth, right? You never know. 
you never know for sure. Um, and maybe it's the way our culture is and people don't like sharing or having this question. Like somebody messaged me yesterday and says, uh, thank God you're not Nigerian because if you're Nigerian, like right now, people reaching out to your DM, you know, asking you for money because you shared your compensation. You know, so there's that that's, um, cultural aspect where, yeah. you know, you don't want people to know how much you're earning because of X, Y, Z. But I think that we need to look past that if we actually want to get to a point where we stop hearing of people getting exploited and, yeah. you know, you know, uh, yeah, I think we need to be able to get to that point. Yeah. So, so it looks like it's, um, there, there are two different things. Each of them comes with their ramifications, but when you look at the bigger picture, it's all in all, you help more people than stress that you probably get in the end. And I, and I, I feel like, um, that probably addresses the ambition because as you mentioned, it's probably because people don't know, they don't, they lack exposure. So that needs to come out. More people need to be open and share. Even if you're not going to, if you don't want to share publicly on a place where your family members will see it, maybe in certain professional forums and like maybe at a Dev Congress meeting, you can, you can share the details. I mean, no family member will see that there. So that I feel like, needs to really be addressed and then with the opportunities i agree that we need to really look outside the country the market here is small um, when certain people share their business ideas with me i always tell them that whatever you are going to do try to add a wink that educates people about your service and why they should they need it and how they can how it can improve them maybe uh, have like something that teaches people because if you just come out with a product, we are not mentally ready for certain kinds of products. Our, our industry is not ready uh, for certain kinds of things, certain kinds of solutions to even work here in the country. I mean, you can, that's why a lot of people who try to bring solutions from, um, from the Western world, they just lift them up and come to Africa and just drop them here, realize that, Charlie. That's not how things are. Someone shared a thread, a Nigerian shared a thread on, um, how uber came to nigeria and then they run they yeah. a lot of losses because of certain things people just activate num sims just to get a free rides and all that and that that's something we need to look at the minds need to reach a certain level to be able to accept certain kinds of solutions that are coming in or applications that are being built and services yeah. else there's not going to be a market you have a really solid one and so i think that there will be a two ways that we can look at this looking at an external market as well because the possibilities are endless out there and from the few african countries that i have visited i have seen that ghana um ghana is well respected ghanaian solutions are respected people actually respect ghanaians so much and ghana is actually like some countries america like the <laughs> if you ask someone what's their aspiration um, they'll probably say, look, I want to go to Ghana. I want to go and live and work in Ghana. And that really surprised me. And I feel like your value would be big. Okay, for example, let me give an example. I went to Sierra Leone. I lived in Sierra Leone for a year. And I, I was a lecturer at a university over there. And I, I lectured uh, network security, computer programming, databases. And they saw me as some kind of god over there because it was like, wow, like look at all these stuff that like, you know, you're talking about and stuff. And I was like, 
I'm probably like average. <laughs> I'm probably like average. <clears throat> or maybe like if you go to Ghana, you probably, there are a lot of people who know far more than I do. And I found myself, the longer I stayed there, getting closer to the higher levels of even the government. Because these skills are so scarce in such places. And now, so maybe what we need to look at is a really solid framework of exporting talent. You've shared um, how um, Andela was able to achieve um, something like that here, creating a lot of opportunities to, for people to work remote jobs. Maybe we need more organizations like Andela here doing maybe not just doing a solution, but maybe providing services, people who have connections. So maybe some heavy lifting needs to be done to be able to make those opportunities real over here as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the opportunities are there. And they are, they are, I think I shared one, I shared a thread one time, um, sharing a couple of websites where you can get remote jobs. And funny enough, like since I shared that thread, a couple of people reached out to me saying, oh, I applied to this company and I got a job. So we actually have a couple of people in Ghana now who are actually part of these networks of you know, um, um, freelancers, where they are getting remote jobs and getting paid much, much better than before, right? Um, I think we just need to shed more light on that and, you know, like, let people know about these places. Yeah. Um, because, and the reason why I'm very careful when it comes to, you know, talking about more, other, having other organizations, um, you know, doing the same kind of work is that you can't always tell the intentions of everyone, you know. Um, the, the more organizations we have like that, the harder it becomes to figure out who is credible and who is not. And don't, don't get blind to the fact that many of them are out there to just exploit developers, right? Just a couple of stories have been coming out recently and I've seen them and I'm like, wow, I did not know that these things were going on, right? So it's better for us to have a system where we can have a few credible ones and know that, okay, these people are doing great work. Let's support them. Let's, you know, show them the way um, and all that. And to say, you know, more people should come and do this because then, you, you know, people will be suffering and you wouldn't know in silence because the organizations are much smaller. They are just operating in a very clandestine way. So you don't really know. Um, but yeah, what I would say is like, um, you know, I, I, I think that in the last three years, a lot of uh, positive PR has been done, you know, by Andela and a couple of other organizations to showcase that we do have, you know, extremely brilliant people in Africa. And I mean, just for the fact that, you know, somebody like me works at Microsoft today and I have friends now who also left Africa and they are working at Amazon and Google and Facebook. It just shows that, yeah, like, okay, we have gotten to that point where we, we can pass this interview successfully without having gone to like Harvard and Stanford and all these schools that prepare them, right? So we have sort of like, learns the hard way, but we are, we are getting there now. So the talent is there, you understand? Yeah. Uh, we just need to figure out a way to even nurture that talent more so, and then expose them to these opportunities, which is what, you know, I feel like my position allows me to do now. Like the, the job thread I shared a couple of days ago yeah. on Twitter, that's an example. That job thread was made specifically for jobs that had engineering managers that were looking to add people from other races and other to be more diverse onto their teams. And they're like, okay, we're going to ask the blacks at Microsoft group 
to share this thing mm -hmm. and you will get the visibility that you need. There'll be more opportunities like that that would come. And then I'm like, okay, if I didn't work here, this is not something I'll be able to show my followers, yeah. right? And they won't be able to. So I'm hoping that, you know, I can find even more opportunities like that from other companies because of my network. And then, you know, bit by bit, we build that bridge and then people see these opportunities and they are able to take advantage of them, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I feel like, you know, and, and it's funny because even when I started freelancing, for instance, many people thought that I was doing fraud because they're like, ah, but you, you're just staying in the house, you're not doing anything, and then you're making this money, you're driving this car, what exactly are you doing, right? Um, and so being able to show people that, no, actually, freelancing is a real thing, and here are some of the websites where you can actually freelance, and this is how much they get paid, it opens their eyes like, oh, okay, if Adam is posting about this and his work on this site, then it makes sense that, okay, you can actually make, you know, a decent living freelancing or, you know, working remotely for a company all this kind of thing so let me give it a try as well and there are many many examples like that like i mean you know some of these sites that i've shared the fact that there are people in ghana who are even on this site shows that okay we do have talent here we do have people who are very good very ambitious and do their work but if you don't expose them to these opportunities they will they will simply not know them right so and again that's why i am very big on being as transparent as possible with everything right i i say it as i see it i don't sugarcoat it you know, I don't tell people. And the thing is, you know, people will get obsessed with me sometimes and be like, ah, but you, why are you doing this? Don't you lead a team, blah, 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 and everything. I'm like, yeah, sure. I may be a manager today, but I was a dev before as well. And so I'll always side with the devs because I know the pain that they have gone through and it just doesn't feel fair that, you know, I see them going through the same pain and then I should, no, I'll do what I can to ensure that they don't go through what I went through so they can even progress much faster, right? Um, and, you know, I hope that more people can have that kind of mindset so we can really grow, you know, the next generation to be, to even aim higher and, you know, do better things than we did, right? Um, that's the goal, so, yeah. Great, great, great. I, I think that's amazing. The, the main themes that are coming up here are sharing and um, transparency. And I think those are things that we need to focus on, getting more people to share. And it looks like yeah. more people share, others also see and share, and it just keeps going. So hopefully yeah. we'll have a lot more knowledge and info in the system. All right, so uh, one more thing. Uh, what do you recommend for people in tech as a path to success? And then, okay, two things. And then what should industry leaders do to create opportunities for the future generations? Um. So, piece of advice for people in people getting into tech. Um, there is so much knowledge out there today, right? I think that I think that people who are getting into tech today, I mean, on one side, the positive things is that the access to information is so much um, it's more accessible, right? It's it's just widespread. You can pretty much find a tutorial for anything you want to learn today. Somebody has written about it, there is a book about it, there is a YouTube video, there is a blog, there is everything out there, right? But on the other side, it also creates this situation where uh, the abundance of knowledge can be overwhelming, right? Um, in my time, you could literally buy one book and then learn how to do something because the book is you know, it has a structure to it. And I still prefer to learn from books, right? If I'm trying to learn, if I'm, if I'm going to pick up a new programming language today, 
I won't start by just going to a blog or a video. I'll take I'll take an actual book and then oh, physical book and make my notes in it, highlights, post-it notes, all these kind of things. That's what I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, but for somebody else who would say, Oh, you know what, I want to see what this language is about. You do a Google search, you find one blog post, one article, one video, one this, one that. You know, you learn more here, you learn more here, you learn you know, it's, it's so it, it can get very frustrating when you are, the thing is like you are, you are learning, but you don't feel like you're making progress, right? Because you haven't mapped out a curriculum for yourself and say, okay, by the time I finish doing this, I should be able to do X, Y, Z, right? Um, so what I encourage people these days to do is, first of all, figure out exactly why you want to become a software engineer or why you want to learn how to code, right? There has been so much buzz around software engineering as a career recently. Like the, the day I knew that this is really, we are living in a bubble was when I started having like parents reaching out to me saying, I want my kids to learn how to code. Where should they start from? That was such a moving moment for me because my dad didn't want me to become a software engineer. He wanted same, me to go into banking. Same for me. Back in the days, yeah. you know, like, 10, 15 years ago, bankers were the thing. You know, it's like, it was either banking or oil and gas. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was like, yeah, that like, you know, that's where you make the serious money and everything. And so you ask any parents, oh, it has to be lawyer, doctor, engineer, you know, that's what you wanted. But then I got to this stage and I'm like, if now parents are saying they want their kids to be software developers, it just shows you where we have reached, right? Yeah. Um, but then it's, you know, people don't actually have an actual reason. And I always say, like, speak to any software engineer that you know who have more than 10 years of experience and then ask them why they become a software engineer. You just hear their stories. And you realize that there is always something that's made them want to get into this field. Nobody, like, it wasn't like somebody say, hey, go to school and learn how to code and then become a software engineer. No, like, it's because there is something, something has to be, it has to be very, very personal to you for you to actually say, okay, I want to do this. Because look, even if you go to Harvard or you go to MIT and all that, yeah, you're going to get the material in class and stuff. But then they, they do a lot of work on the side, you know, that they are not, it's not like out of assignments and all these kind of things. So technically, even if you go to the best school, you're still going to self-teach yourself some things, right? Um, so there is no, you know, um, Oh, I'm just sitting there. I want to learn how to code, and then I want to like. No, there has to be something that really motivates you to want to do this thing. It could be money. It could be oh, I want to fix this problem. But whatever it is, like it has to be you know something that you are so convicted to that you know will keep you going when you know like things get frustrating or whatever. And the second thing is when you have a, a goal in mind, you also sort of like use that as a way to structure your learning, right? So somebody could say, okay, I want to learn how to code because I want to build, I don't know, like an app like Uber because I think I'm going to be the next Uber. Sure, great. Whether you fail or not, that's your own business. But then the thing is like, because you have that in your mind, right? You, don't have, you have to st start thinking to yourself, okay, what do I need to learn to build an app like Uber? Obviously it's a mobile app. So if it's a mobile app, I have no business learning, you know, web, you know, front-end engineering, I should focus on mobile application, right? And then you start digging in and, you know, going from there, right? And then from there, you're like, okay, now I have an interface. What do I need to do to get the backend to work? What do I need to do to, you know? And then you, when you structure learning that way, it teaches you two things. One, you're able to stay focused on, 
exactly what you need to learn to achieve an actual goal. And then two, you pick up a bunch of skills along the way that actually have nothing to do with writing code, which is the other misconception people have where they think that when you say you want to become a software engineer, it just means that, okay, you're going to be writing code all day long. That's not true. There's a lot of other skills that you also need along the way that you have to pick up, right? Um, and in my experience, like the people that I mentor, it is always the ones who have a specific goal in mind. They are the ones who actually end up doing really well. Yeah. It's like if you come to me and say, oh, hello, sir, I've been looking to get into coding. Can you mentor me? That's one type of person. Another person comes to me and says, hello, sir, um, I've been trying to learn, I've been learning how to code for a bit now. I can build and basic applications with Python and Django, but I got stuck on this thing and I don't know how to get past it. That shows, okay, this person has actually taken some steps. They have gotten stuck on something after they started working on some project and they need help with this thing. I can mentor you. I can show you how to, you know, get on blog and then, you know, or somebody will come and say, I want some feedback on the project I'm working on and I want to know what to do next or how to make it better. Mm-hmm. Those things I can help with, right? But then when you don't have some actual reason why you want to get in the space and everything, then I'm like, okay, are you trying to get in the space because you are seeing all the buzz and all the fat around it and think, okay, it's a good move to make, uh, you know, to get into the tech space. Or are you getting into it because you're really passionate about solving problems using code, right? Um, so the advice is honestly, like, take a step back, think really clearly about the reason why you want to learn how to code, have some achievable goal that you can say, oh, I built this thing from scratch and these are the things that I learned in the process of building this thing. If you can get to that point, you haven't proven that you're competent enough for anybody to hire you, right? Um, So you have to be able to do that. And it becomes much clearer to pick up the right skills, focus on exactly the things you need to learn, and you can see yourself making progress because the knowledge is just so much. There's just so many things that you can learn and you will never finish. Like even at my stage, there are so many things I don't know. And I will never even know until I finish my career. So it's, it's, it's more about really picking the right things for the job and knowing what you are solving your problems for, right? That's what you get paid for. It's actually providing value, not the code or whatever. It's the end result that people are actually paying you for, right? Yeah, um, second question was, what can the industry do to provide more opportunities? Yeah. The leaders. The leaders. Yeah. Hmm. So I think that, I think that we don't do, we don't, we don't have this uh, culture of paving the way for, you know, the next generation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, a few people would mentor and, you know, pick up people and try to do stuff, but it's not something that, you know, as a whole, we actually do. Yeah. So for me, the way I think of it is this, if as a country, we have a couple of tech companies that are always hiring, they're also complaining about the quality of talent and blah, blah, blah. The question I ask myself is what are you doing, right? To make it better? Where are you investing to try and fix this problem? Like you're not doing that, right? So we need to first get at the stage where, you know, tech companies can actually actively start sponsoring communities. If you look at just Nigeria here, they do that all the time. Like Nigeria's community is so vibrant, not because of the fact that they have an army of volunteers who are just doing events, but that's also because companies have sponsored these communities for a lot of things. 
Um, and so it allows them to, you know, effectively build a, a, a pipeline of, you know, quality talents because this is where like they're going to go and work for these companies in the end, right? That's the first thing that we need to do. Like we need to, you know, there is just very much that a bunch of volunteers in a community can do with their own money. It's not, it's not going to be enough. Like companies need to actually put their money where their mouth is and say, hey, we care about the community in this country. We want to have this community. So we're going to invest in growing this community and making sure that the talent that comes out of here can actually go ahead and then do stuff for us, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is I would encourage every, not every senior engineer or you know, really senior person in this field likes mentoring. It's not, and I know that mentoring is very, very difficult. It's the questions I get sometimes, it's, it's, it's not easy, right? You have to dedicate time out of your day to answer people, talk to people. You're not getting paid for that time. So obviously if you have bills and other things to worry about, you always do that, right? Um, but I really encourage, you know, those who are, you know, like at least at a certain stage in their career to commit to mentoring a few people a year, right? Um, take them on as your little proteges, you know, teach them everything that you know, connect them to opportunities. I do that, but, you know, how many people like me, like imagine that there were maybe like, I don't know, 50 people who are doing, like I currently have five people that I am sort of like guiding. So imagine that every year I can take on five people and there's 50 of us who are also taking on five people each. That's, you know, it's like you're essentially, and then that group is also going to become, you know, like senior at some point and they can also come into taking five people on. It's all like build up this pyramid of, you know, talents that just trickles down and then helps everybody get better because, you know, like somebody who sees me is going to be like, oh, if I'm thinking of a project, it's anyone going to think about. But then the project you're bringing to me might not necessarily be something I may have time for or the resources. But then I can just say, oh, you know what? Like I can vouch for this guy or this lady. I've worked with her for a while, so you can give it to her, that kind of thing, right? And then, you know, the opportunity just come like that. And then we are all mentoring and growing and nurturing people from the roots. But what I've come to see is that like, not many people do that because it's, it's difficult, it's time consuming, but we have to get to the point where we have to care enough about, you know, the next generation and say, you know, like we need to, you know, um, nurture these people. Because I mean, it's, it's for them, for, for, for a lot of these young people, I can understand how frustrating it would be for you to have all this knowledge, for you to see like all these great things that people are doing and then feel like you are so lost in whatever you're doing simply because you don't have that one person in your corner who can just, you know, guide you, right? And that's, that's really lacking. And I, I think about like the number of graduates that are going to come out next year. And I'm like, how many of these people are going to actually work in tech? There are not that many tech companies around, you know? Not everybody can afford to travel outside. Not everybody's going to be able to get a remote job because they may not have built the skills that allow them to prove themselves like that, right? Not everybody is going to, even if you took 100 senior engineers and gave them 10, uh, what is it called, uh, 10 mentees each, it will still not be enough to get everybody into a role. It's, it's just not enough, right? So that scares me because I'm like, we're not really doing much to be able to, expand. you know, uh, ex exactly, expand, right? And so we have to, we have to, it's a commitment that we have to make and that people will be willing to do, um, you know, 
regardless, just because that's the way that they can contribute, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping that at some point we can have this conversation with, you know, more um, senior people um, and then build this, this you know, in a more structured and, you know, proper way. But I think that's what really, really help because we're really we're a really small country like this we're not we're not that big and when you notice like some of the countries that are you know i would say like leaders in technology and look at the quality of talent they have you always realize that a lot of that talent just get exported whether they're working remotely or you know uh, they, they travel out so like look at a country like israel amazing talents there but most of the israeli companies that are tech companies don't have israeli clients you know, it's like, it's always, you look at Sweden, you look at Ukraine, you know, you look at all these companies, you're like, okay, these are really small, small countries in terms of size, but why do they have tech talent that is so excellent, right? Um, you look at Skype that came out of what country is it again, if I remember, um, or you look at Spotify that came out from, you know, one of these um, Eastern uh, Swedish or Nordic countries. Um, it's because like, you know, like they built a product that the entire market wanted, the global market wanted, um, but they only did that because they are, you know, like the, the access to the engineering talent that they had wasn't limited to their own country. They had people who were working with companies all over the place so they could build a product like that, right? So we also need to get to that point where we start thinking about our tech talent and say, hey, we are building these talents for a global market, right? So that with that exposure, we can start building global companies at some point right out of Ghana. Until we get to that point, you know, we will not be able to have a company that can employ a thousand engineers in Ghana. Like, we're not, we're not there yet. But I hope that at some point we can get to that point, you know. Yeah. I think a, a, a lot of, of two things you mentioned have to come in, funding and then mentorship. Yeah, I, I think these are supremely yeah. important, so much so that... Um, We've been working on this project, I am Limitless.academy. And one of the main things we are looking to do is to create a, fame, a framework for mentorship, not just in tech, in all kinds of areas. So if someone is a photographer, they should be able to get a mentor who is another photographer. And it's operating on a very basic model, which is about um, basically, if you are looking for a mentor, you go on there and then you just select the area in which you want a mentor and then the mentor, we are trying to get people to also apply to mentor people. And then you just kind of just say, I can mentor people in JavaScript, in C Sharp. I'm talking in tech wise, or I can met, uh, mentor people in catering. And then you get matched. And so uh, when you get matched, then a communication line is created between both of you, and there can be one on one mentorship. So maybe someone out there wants to mentor people and they don't know, they don't, maybe they don't have people coming to them or they aren't, you can just go on there and say, oh, I know a bit about um, uh, cPanel server administration or some Linux server administration. I can mentor people in, in server administration. So you just go and select it and then someone just pops up. Hey, hey, hi, I'm this, 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 and all that. We are still trying to iron out certain things with um, communication because we feel like if you just connect someone's and probably give them phone numbers. The easiest way is to say, oh, this person's phone number, so call the person or talk. That can create a lot of problems. And there are certain issues where maybe mentors, or one may abuse the other, or one may like stress out other people 
act inappropriately and all that. So we ended up now, we, we, sh we should have gone live with it, but now we are looking at building a, a, a platform like a chat relay system that can go through the basic um, system. So maybe a, a WhatsApp chat bot that acts as a chat relay so that I can be texting a particular number, which is not the number of my mentor, but then we are still communicating. And so that's where we are looking at. Hopefully, maybe by the end of this month, we should have a pilot out. It will be really interesting if you could get on board to help test it, iron out some of, some of the issues that will come out of it to see so that we can just create this base. Then when that is ready, all we do is probably just start getting more people to come on board to just join, probably go to certain organizations and say, hi, like just have a short talk with the people and say, look, come on this platform, pick two or three people. You, I mean, you can select the number of people you can mentor, maybe two people. So if, you have, if there's a slot, it, someone will get matched to you. We have to work out um, defining the ways in which people should communicate with mentors, like not just coming there to say, hi, hello, how are you? And all those things. I mean, those things can be really frustrating, but to come out and yeah. the way in which you should ask a question, hi, I'm this, I'm looking for this and all that. And we're also creating something called professional forums, whereby you can ask a question and then the professionals in that particular sector are the only ones who can respond. So it's like, like Quora, but for like only certified professionals. So we will vet right. all these people and, and all that. Uh, that's what we are looking, that's what we are doing. We are, we are trying to build a framework so that people can come on like a highway so that goods can be transported in and out. And so hopefully, I mean, when we are ready to go, We'll definitely share some of um, some 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 of it with you so that you can help to. Yeah, I'd love to take a look. Yeah, especially with the chat relay system, we've looked at a number of options to 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 do that because we don't want to. We would have created an app, but now to get people to install a new app is a whole issue. So why don't we just create a chatbot that can be plugged into? Yeah. So you just add a number, and you can even have it such, such as um, a phone number. You pick up your phone, you type. Uh, yeah, I need a mentor. Yeah, I think a lot, of, a lot of people are exploring that option now nowadays. Um, you know, because it's the ease of access has been better since not everybody has a phone where they can actually install apps and stuff like that. So, um, you know, chatbots are becoming a, a better channel to use, use to engage with people. So, yeah, and it's more and it's and more natural as well. So, I mean, we will definitely talk about this some more. And then the funding bit, the funding bit too also has to come in. So there's no like structured form of funding if you have something sometimes. So we, we've built a crowdfunding site, which we'll go live with this week. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll show you a preview of it. Is that, a, is that like, a, like a local GoFundMe for, for, for our markets? Basically, basically. Okay. It's just to solve the problem of funding because there are a lot of things we wanted to do. You can. Like in the, you can have an idea or maybe a lot of these NGOs like um, yeah. Jeff Congress and Co can raise funds for a lot of things. I mean, yeah, I would yeah. to send something if there's a GoFundMe for an event that's going to train people in, in something, maybe students or create opportunities for people. So we are also exploring things around. That's actually, that's actually needed. It's actually needed because, 
if you look at the way people do donations today, it's always like send money to this number and then they'll have a bunch of numbers and you know, so there's no there's no place that you can go and just see, you know, a campaign and then have like different payment options to donate to and not have to worry about consolidation and stuff like that, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely something that we need. Yeah. So I mean you start out wanting to do one thing and then you realize that there are a lot of other stuff. <laughs> Yep, that's you, that you want to travel somewhere via rail and then you end up having to build there. You get to a point where you realize that yeah. Yeah. Really, there are no tracks. Yeah. The infrastructure is not there. So you have to build it's it's kinda like yeah, that's exactly how it feels. It kinda like feels like driving a truck and then laying the road ahead of you yes. for like a couple of weeks. Then you drive and then you lay the next one, then you drive, you lay the next one. Nobody oh. has laid, you know, the road already. Yeah. Um, which is what, yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> Bezos made a comment. I tweeted about it. He said, I watched a show where they asked him um, what he's doing with um, some of his, um, uh, with, with the money and all of that. And he said that he's, he's investing his money to do the heavy lifting infrastructure for space travel and a lot of other things. And that actually made me uh, end up deciding to, feel that if this guy is rich and he has a lot of millions of, of dollars, I don't really care about that anymore. Like, I'm not bothered about the fact that this guy is a multi-billionaire anymore because he's doing something that I don't even see being done here in Ghana, such, such, such as um, he's doing the heavy lifting for a new generation to be able to do something. But over here, people just get rich and then there are a lot of rich people who could invest in businesses, who could create... Yeah. A in events, but it doesn't really happen. So I think yeah, that's, uh, yeah. To encourage this culture over here. Yeah, it's a uh, challenge. It's not easy. <laughs> that's a that's a whole topic on its own. But um, I've spoken about I've spoken about this. I, I think actually on a on a podcast with uh, AFD Tech Talk. But uh, yeah, I mean the. The people that I expect to really invest, you know, in our ecosystem, um, even after making money from tech, you know, and having benefited from some of the work that we have done, do not invest. You know, um, it's for me, it, it just sounds ridiculous that we are in 2020, and if you're trying to build a tech company in Ghana today, you have better luck or better chances of getting investment or funding for your idea outside of Ghana than in Ghana, right? Um, you know, and you would think that having had a few very successful tech entrepreneurs that are Ghanaian, that are based in Ghana, we would have gotten, I don't know, like a few, you know, funds created by them that focus, ex in, you know, exclusively on Ghanaian entrepreneurs. Um, but that's not the case, right? So that's that's really sad. Um, but I mean, I also have hope because, you know, I feel like we have a few promising companies that I know for sure when they actually succeed, um, you know, the, the founders of these companies would actually pave the way for, you know, like the next generation. So I think it's going to be a matter of time, but, you know, like we essentially get to a point where people are going to see some success stories from, you know, investors who have invested in tech companies and then made good returns from them. And then from there, 
that's when everybody will be like, oh, that means let me do something, right? Because it's kind of sad. Like some people will make money, you know, doing tech stuff. And then once they get their money, they're buying land in East Ligon and going into real estate or, you know, they become like importers of something or they, you know, I'm like, ah, but if you made your money in tech, don't you think that you should pave the way for the next generation so that at least they don't have to, you know, go through the hurdles that you went through, right? Um, so yeah, funding is definitely uh, a big issue because the way I, I see it is that if we don't if we don't actually encourage more people to start companies and solve problems, global problems that allow them to then employ people and everything, we will never have uh, enough um, you know demand um, for the supply that we are creating. Right, the supply will always be for you know companies outside. And that's where you know it 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 becomes it becomes a problem at some point. You know, if if all the talents that you have is used to uh, you know like build companies in other countries and there's nothing really happening in your country, then you just become like a you know it's like you're just producing the talents and draining draining your your own you know you know your own your own pool, right? So yeah, I hope that we can get to a point where we can see more being done for our local ecosystems yeah great 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 so uh, I, I i honestly also have hope hopefully in the future sometime yeah and i hope that the people uh, have the the mind and the heart to do that get the funds um, yeah definitely okay um thank you for watching thank you adam for coming on and uh, i hope i wish you all the best